A recipe for you. Preheat cauldron to 666 degrees. Add 20 horror hosts, 1,225 episodes of Dark Shadows, and 13 candy buckets of Halloween. Then recite the following incantation. I summon you in the name of the seven plagues, in the name of the charred and blackened stars that reigned at my beginnings. Then wait five seconds and scream horribly. The end result? Terror at Collingwood. A.K.A. Penny Dreadful, and have I got... Imposter. Oh, no. Usurper. Yep, here it comes. How dare you, Danielle, A.K.A. Penny Dreadful. Ha! Preposterous! Like anyone's gonna believe that <laughs> you are me. As if, gentle listener, you have been duped. For you have, in fact, been listening to my cheap polyester knockoff, Danielle the Despicable Doppelganger. <laughs> you see, I am the real Penny Dreadful, New England's excellent horror hostess, 700-year-old witch, and proud member of Horror Host Union 1313. Salem chapter. Now see here, Penny, you can't just walk onto my <laughs> show and... Oh, please, I created you, um... Uh, spoilers. Much like Angelique conjured those doppelgangers in 1897, but they at least served a purpose. You think these people are going to sit here on Halloween listening to your nerdy babbling? <laughs> I know I won't. Away with you, doppelganger. I banish you to the cannery. And not even the Collins cannery. The one in Logansport. Oh, no. No. Oh, no. No. Ah! <laughs> Welcome, my dreary one, to the Terror at Collinwood Horror Host Halloween Tribute to Dark Shadows. Like many horror hosts, I just adore the terror and intrigue of the cursed Collins family, and so I've gathered together many of my dearly departed fellow horror movie host friends and fiends to share their own twisted thoughts and macabre memories of that creepy classic, Dark Shadows. Oh, you're in for a treat and maybe a trick or two. So, my dreary one, let's open up the chained casket and start things off with my friend, the legendary Count Gore Duval. And be sure to look at the show notes to find links to websites for all of the horror hosts you'll hear and fear in this episode. <laughs> now then, ahem, tooth of rat. And wing of crow, fang of bat, and winds that blow, monsters and movies and ghouls and ghosts. It's a dark shadows Halloween with horror hosts. <laughs> <laughs> I am the Count Gordival, the host of CountGore.com, and the Roku channel Count Gordival presents. You know, the fall TV season of 1966 offered me incredible choices. I could become a daydream believer. Take that last train to Clarksville, which, of course, would guarantee me a Pleasant Valley Sunday. Or I could venture to the final frontier, where I would face a plethora of strange creatures 
and exciting adventures. Or I could venture from a secret bat cave, <laughs> one of my favorite places, into the dark and sinister, although sometimes loony world of Gotham City. Then there was also an opportunity to witness the lives, loves, trials, and tribulations of the wealthy Collins family of Collinsport, Maine, where a number of supernatural occurrences would be guaranteed to take place. <laughs> it was a tough choice, but Dark Shadows just couldn't compete with the other shows. Until 1967, that is, when the producers finally saw the light, or, or the dark, and got serious with the arrival of Barnabas Collins, a vampire in my own style. And that's when I became a fan. I did have the distinct pleasure to spend some quality time a number of years ago with actress Catherine Lee Scott, who played Maggie Evans in no less than 309 episodes from 66 to 1970. While I never met Jonathan Frid, a fan of mine got him to sign a photo of Barnabas to me, and it arrived the day of his death. How appropriate in Dark Shadow's terms, it now hangs proudly in my dungeon. <laughs> Is this thing on? Oh, Sally the Zombie Cheerleader here. And I was just asked by the most glorious Queen of Horror, Penny Dreadful, if I could share with her fleshy audience my fondest zombie memories of Dark Shadows. Hmm, let's see. Oh, many moons ago, way before cell phones and iPads were popular... Well, maybe not that far back. Anyway, live, local, broadcast television was king. Sally would watch Channel 45 WBFF-TV in Maryland, and they would air reruns of Dark Shadows during the week in the afternoon. Well, of course, Sally was hooked. Well, I'm sure you're thinking to yourself, gee, it's a monster watching a show about a monster. Of course you're hooked. It wasn't quite that simple. Back then, you had Hammer films, you had Universal Monsters, your Draculas, your Mummies, your Werewolves you name it, but you didn't have access to them the way you have access today. You didn't have the internet. You didn't have three bazillion channels on cable. Cable at that, that time, I guess, was 45 channels, 50 channels, depending upon what you had. But they didn't show the availability the way they do now. It was catch as catch can. It was kind of like cartoons on Saturday. You just watched it every Saturday, and that was it. And you waited. You waited to watch horror films. But with Dark Shadows, it was one of the few serials out there that I could, for me, I could watch every single day. I had a mini horror film every single day. That was my access. And of course, you had Barnabas Collins. His character was developing in front of your eyes every single day. He had loves, he had enemies, he had friends. It, there was this depth and dimension to this creature that you didn't get with the Hammer and the Universal Monsters. I mean, they're great, but you're, they're 90-minute chunks, and you couldn't get to them all the time. They were there, but again didn't have access back then the way you do now. Dark Shadows gave me that access. It gave me that little fix every single day. And I love the story. I love the plot. And I just love Dark Shadows. And I'm grateful for those memories. And considering the depth and dimension that it gave to the character kind of makes you wonder why I'm a horror host now, because now I'm a monster with sort of depth and dimension. Anyway, Sally the Zombie Cheerleader, thank you for listening. Thank you, Penny Dreadful. Enjoy Dark Shadows. Well, I was out in the graveyard about 12 o'clock. Something hit me, it felt like a rock. I thought it was an outline around and around, but it's just an old ghost digging holes in the ground. I said, Hello, terror at Collinwood, folks. This is Dr. Gang Green, Nashville horror host, coming to you with a few thoughts and appreciation of... Dan Curtis and Dark Shadows. You know, in the 1970s, nobody did TV terror better than Dan Curtis. 
And of course, among his stuff, Dark Shadows is certainly some of the most memorable. He made so many fantastic made-for-TV movies, of which I'm a huge fan. And I have to say, the Dark Shadows stuff, I haven't even seen all of it because there's so dang many episodes, which is a huge tribute to the lasting power and influence of Dark Shadows in and of itself. You know, it has gone on to influence so many creators throughout the years and continues to inspire and entertain people to this very day. Not that long ago, my son mentioned wanting to watch Dark Shadows, so we actually went back to the some of the beginning stuff and started watching from around the time Willie Loomis first cracked open that coffin and have been enjoying going through some of those early episodes. So I just wanted to chime in here. Dan Curtis is one of my favorite 70s creators. I always love watching his work. It's always big on atmosphere and mood. Nobody set that creepy mood better than Dan. So, Dan, here's to you. A big salute to you from us here at Shackle Island. All of us here are big fans. And thank you, Penny, for keeping the Terror at Collinwood podcast rolling. Best of luck to everybody there. Hello, this is Horror Host Hall of Fame and radio personality, Dr. Sarcophaga, Ph.D. My goodness, I'm a man of so many slashes, I I should be bleeding to death. Yes. (laughs) Dark shadows. Let me tell you, the first thing that comes to my mind about dark shadows is uh, I think that Anne Rice should go to hell. Yes, because uh, she made thought that she uh, that she was uh, uh, capitalizing and pioneered the the angst-ridden vampire, uh, the introspective vampire. But let me tell you, Dark Shadows, Barnabas Collins, nobody but nobody could ever handle and tackle such enormous complexity. The enormous complexity that uh, that Jonathan Frid managed to uh, imbue the character with of Barnabas Collins. My goodness, the whole thing with him. Uh, I mean, he really did actually make vampires more human as far as I'm concerned. Sure, Christopher Lee was brilliant as, as Dracula, but you never really got a sense of what Dracula really was. Uh, uh, even Bella Lugosi, good heavens, well, I take that back. Bella Lugosi was good about, you know, giving you some kind of idea how tortured uh, he was or how tortured a vampire could be. But my goodness, Jonathan Fred and Barnabas Collins, my goodness. You could always see the 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 rage and the despair and the the regret. All of those things. All of those things. They oh, those people on that show, uh the, the the writers of that show managed to give such depth and managed to just get past all of the um the corny conceits one could possibly have. In relation to uh, a gothic storyline, as in uh, as it related to, uh, to to Barnabas, time traveling here, there, everywhere, ghosts. Yes, yes, there, yes, yeah. I mean, the show was unusual in that it did have indeed yes, ghosts and vampires and werewolves and all those things. But my goodness, the stories were so well done um, that uh, you know. It could have easily gotten really ridiculous real fast, but as far as I'm concerned, it never did. Um, but Barnabas, my goodness. Uh, uh, even in the movie, the, um, what do you call it? The, the, there's, there's the House of, of Dark Shadows and the Night of Dark Shadows, too. Uh, I love those movies. I really, really do. Yeah, Barnabas got a little bit more, you know, fierce and frightening in the movie. Uh, and he was even kind of scary in the Tim Burton thing, but 
let me just 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 to distill it down to just what I'm my my point. Uh, the show was fantastic because of Barnabas, but it could also be just as fantastic with its um, peripheral or, or 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 other characters, side characters like Angelique. Good Lord, when they go into uh, Barnabas's origin. At first, when I first watched it, I was like, mm, just hurry up so we can see, you know, Barnabas turn into a vampire. But my goodness, all that stuff with Angelique and all that period um, uh, uh, costumes and period story and seeing everybody rearrange uh, as stock characters, the, the, the you know, uh, all the people who were in the present being characters in the past. It was just brilliant. It was just absolutely brilliant and something I don't think you ever would have thought of seeing on a soap opera at that time. So anyway, Dark Shadows. Love it. Brilliant. And Anne Rice can go to hell. And Anne Rice needs to thank everybody involved with Dark Shadows for giving her the inspiration to be, you know, fairly brilliant, but not really. (laughs) And yes, I'm well aware that Anne Rice is dead, but you know, she still should have gave them, you know, their props, right? (laughs) Anyway, thanks for listening to me babble on. Thank you so much for listening to me. And Penny, love you. Love you, sweetie. Bye. Greetings, night creatures. Professor Anton Griffin here from the Midnight Shadow Show, Fangoria TV, and the Midnight Theater, coming to you from Austin, Texas. I am honored to have been asked by my sinister soul sister, Penny Dreadful, to say a few words about Dark Shadows for Terror at Collinwood. (laughs) My name is Anton. And I am a born-again Dark Shadows fan. (laughs) I'll explain. You see, night creatures, like every monster kid or child of the glow worth his ton of leaves, I used to rush home after school to watch Dark Shadows. I, like so many others, was mesmerized as Willie Loomis opened that chained casket, hoping to find the treasure of the Collins family, but instead unleashed a horror beyond his imagining and created a pop culture sensation. I was hooked. I watched faithfully and enraptured, but I am slightly embarrassed to admit this. I fell from grace, as it were, and slowly trickled out of watching Dark Shadows. I I missed storylines involving the unfortunate Christopher Jennings, the man-made creature Adam, and even Julia Hoffman's attempt to cure Barnabas. It was not too long ago that I admitted these shortcomings to my dear friend Miss Dreadful, and she snatched away my horror historian card and refused to return it until I exposed myself once again to the horrors of Collinwood. She had the perfect solution. Time travel. (laughs) No, not the 1795 time travel storyline. No, not the 1840 time travel storyline. No, I was prescribed the 1897 storyline. Collinwood in the year 1897 introduced me to the great David Selby as Quentin Collins, who, as it turns out, had the distinction of playing multiple monster archetypes throughout the show. Penny Dreadful described Quentin Collins to me thusly. I sense you would be a Quentin fanatic. He's a rogue, a cad, a hedonist, and loves to dabble in the occult. Come on, what's not to love? (laughs) She knows me. She was so right. Quentin Collins quickly became my favorite aspect of the 1897 storyline, and while I adore Barnabas, Quentin gave us so much more to watch. I started watching the 1897 storyline, and I watch it still, to this day, every night. And my wife joined me from time to time, although at first she wanted to watch so she could mm, somewhat mock Dark Shadows and its theatricality in its low budget, and of course, Magda's husband, who reminded her of the Frito Bandito. But she has come around. She became just as enthralled by their nightly viewings, so much so that she specifically requests it from time to time, asking... 
Can we go to Collinwood tonight? <laughs> I am a born-again Dark Shadows fan. I even purchased model kits of Barnabas and Chris Jennings. Uh, my plan is to customize the werewolf to be Quentin Collins. <laughs> so, to all of you listening, this is Professor Griffin saying, keep watching Dark Shadows and, as always, rest in peace. <laughs> Kids, Undead Johnny here from the World of the Weird Monsters show, and I have to say I was thrilled when my very good friend Penny Dreadful... What? Okay, fine. All right. Uh, I was thrilled when my friend Penny... Oh, come on. Fine. All right. I was thrilled when Penny Dreadful, host of the Terror at Collinwood podcast, asked me for my thoughts on what may be one of the best television shows ever made. Seriously, I love Dark Shadows. It's like someone took the insides of my brain and broadcast them on network television for 1,225 episodes a few years before I was born, some in color, some in black and white, and with more than a few mistakes because no one dream nerds like us would have the ability to watch these episodes more than once when they first aired, but I love Dark Shadows so much. It's just dripping in gothic atmosphere and full of characters I love, like Willie Loomis to Carolyn, Julia Hoffman to Barnabas, Nicholas Blair to Professor Stokes, Angelique, so many others. It's just a crazy fun monster mash of a show with ghosts, vampires, werewolves, Satanists, unimaginable terrors from the cosmos, all set in a town where it just seems to be night always and has constant thunderstorms and the whole thing's just wrapped up in the melodramatic gothic trappings of a soap opera and it's just flat out wonderful uh it was a big influence on me and the world of the weird monsters show um in fact i was once going to launch a project where i recreated dark shadows shot for shot episode by episode with myself playing all of the characters, uh, except for Catherine Lee Scott's characters, who would have been played by Paul Lind. But then I was told he was dead. So we hired Ernest Borgnine, but then he died. And then Channel 666 claimed that they never greenlit the idea in the first place. And why was I covering the studio with fake grass carpet and styrofoam gravestones? You know, it, it, it just never happened. But ultimately, all I got to say is I love Dark Shadows so much. And a big thank you to Penny for this podcast, which helps keeps the show alive. And to everyone out there listening, remember... Every day is Halloween, especially in Collinsport. Hey there, it's Marlene Midnight from Midnight Mausoleum. Ooh, I'm super excited that I get to talk a little bit about Dark Shadows. Um, so the first time I saw Dark Shadows, I was a little, little kid, like single digits. Um, and I think it was on PBS. Um, but I know that I liked it because my tiny child coward self really liked scary things, but was also, as I just mentioned, a total coward. So Dark Shadows was amazing because it was spooky, but not like super scary. I mean, there were some scarier moments, but not anything that would send me hiding behind the sofa like Wizard of Oz. So it was really fun. I knew that Barnabas was a vampire and I knew that like it was scary and he wasn't the good guy, but he also wasn't a bad guy. I mean, okay, he did some really bad things, but he wasn't as bad as some of the other people. So it was really interesting. And also because I haven't changed as much as I probably Probably should have since I was a tiny child. I still love old houses and architecture, so I loved the houses and the sets and the grand room where a lot of the times they would be filming. It was just a plus. It was great, and I still watch Dark Shadows to this day. So, like, quite a long while watching Dark Shadows. Lurkers, this is Sicko Psychotic, the king of ghouls. Maybe you heard of me? Yeah, well, <clears throat> moving on. Time and time again, I see you tuning in to this fantastically prof. Wait, I can't read that word. Pro prop. Uh. 
Jenny? She better not turn me into a frog. I'm green enough already. Um, time and time again, I see you all tuning in to this fantastically profound podcast. Yep, that's it. <laughs> Seeking that which lurks within the darkest shadows that fall over Collinwood. During the 70s, I was wide-eyed, as you can imagine, to see images of Barnabas manifest among the greatest of film and television monsters in books and magazines I read during my impressionable and restless years. Okay, truth be told, I'm still a restless and curious critter. But how devilishly delighted I was to finally have the opportunity to see the entire series of Dark Shadows from the very beginning, when it was released on DVD. Little did I know that the moment I set eyes on the Collins family and the lives of all they touched, a strange spell would fall over this ghoul, and I found myself enraptured by all the mystery, suspense, deception, blackmail, murder, curses, apparitions, the personification of a mythical creature in one of the most original and intriguing storylines I had ever witnessed on television. And this was before they introduced vindictive vampires, wacky witches, no offense, Penny, or time warping through portals and dimensions, even before Frankenfurter ever made the scene. Whatever magic Dark Shadows casts on old or new fans, it stays with us, lingering, haunting our imagination, and making us yearn for more. And that's all the time that dreadful witch allows me. So, I bid you a happy Halloween, and I'll see you in your nightmares. <laughs> Hey, whoa, it's me. I'm talking about the Bone Jangler. That's right. And I'm here to tell you about uh, Dark Shadow's memory that Enchantress Nocturna and I experienced. Um, We were appearing in 2002 at the Fright Vision Convention in Cleveland, Ohio. We stayed at a really nice hotel. That's where the convention was held and we were put up strangely enough uh we didn't pay for it i can tell you that um in this this penthouse uh room it was unbelievable and i couldn't believe that we were up there and i even said hey this isn't the room that we're paying for and they asked me do you like the room mr jangler and i said well yes i do i love the room but i'm not paying for it and they're like well then enjoy the room and uh so you know here i thought we were up on like the eighth or the tenth floor or whatever it was because you know we're 10 million miles away from the actual uh main floor but no they were treating us like royalty or something anyway we get on the the elevator and we're heading down and we get to like the fourth floor and all of a sudden the doors open the elevator doors open and there's Catherine lee scott nancy barrett and laura parker and i can just feel enchantress nocturna's jaw drop mentally because dark shadows is her absolute favorite program of all time the three of them collectively kind of said who are you and they proceeded to tell us profusely and many times how much they thought of our appearance and how well put together and regal that we appeared to be and enchantress nocturna told them how much of a fan she was of their work and they just continued to express uh, a fondness for our presentation i then made the comment that i was blessed to be sharing the elevator with the four most beautiful and sought after ladies at the convention and in the entire world and the five of us just looked at each other the rest of the way down the elevator 
just with the biggest grins on our faces that you've ever seen in your life. dreadful and i must say my witch's mark is tingling after listening to all of those excellent horror hosts how about a playlist eh <laughs> you just heard carlos borloff of monster madhouse before that you heard the bone jangler from his self-titled show the bone jangler before that you heard sicko psychotic of sicko psychotic's super shock show prior to that you heard marlena midnight of Midnight Mausoleum. Before Marlena, you heard Undead Johnny of the World of Weird Monster Show. Prior to that, you heard Professor Anton Griffin of the Midnight Shadow Show, Fangoria TV, and Professor Griffin's Midnight Theater. Preceding Professor Griffin, you heard Dr. Sarcophagi of the spooky movie The Perplexitarium and the brand new Dr. Sarcophagi's Fright Gallery. Before that, you heard Dr. Gangrene of Chiller Cinema, Creature Feature, and Dr. Gangrene's Cinetarium. Before Dr. Gangrene, you heard Sally, the zombie cheerleader of the Zombie Cheerleaders School of Horror and the Zombie Cheerleader Show. And we kick things off with the one and only Count Gordivall of Creature Feature. Now, before we continue on with more horror hosts, oh yes, that's what I like to hear, here are some fun horror host Dark Shadows tidbits for you. San Francisco Francisco's Shock Theatre, hosted by Asmodeus, was airing while Dark Shadows was originally on the air. Asmodeus used DS music in his 1969 TV promos, at least one of which can still be found on YouTube. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. <laughs> I may have to retrieve Doppelganger Danielle from the Logansport Cannery to show me how to post a link. Anyway, here's another one for you. To promote the syndicated return of Dark Shadows in New York, WNBC threw a party at Magic Disco in 1982. Appearing at the event were Jonathan Frid, grown-up Leviathan child David J, and horror host icon Zachary. Continuing on, Wisconsin horror host Dr. Destruction is a huge DS fan, and we were both interviewed about Dark Shadows for the Terror from Beyond the Daves blog back in 2012. And how about very obscure Massachusetts horror host Bob McCobb, who was the host of House of Horrors on WGGB Channel 40 in Springfield, Massachusetts from 1984 to 1985. In an interview which I, I can't find at the moment, he claimed to have actually auditioned for Dark Shadows when it was on the air, saying that he tried out for the part of Barnabas's brother. As we know, Barnabas didn't have a brother, so maybe it was his uncle, Jeremiah. Or maybe Barnabas had a brother from another mother. Certainly is a uh, thought-provoking. I wish I could find that interview, but I can't seem to find it anymore. We interrupt this program for a special news bulletin. The interview has been found, thanks to my friend, Corpse S. Chris of the Horror Host Graveyard. Stay tuned until the end of the episode for the uh, post credit scene where you will hear a snippet from the interview on the Nine Panel Nerds podcast where Bob McCobb talks about auditioning for Dark Shadows. Anyway, continuing on, even Elvira herself appeared in a two-part crossover Dark Shadows spoof in her 1995 comic magazine Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, edited and illustrated by noted DS fan Richard Howell. And of course, back in the 80s, Elvira hosted House of Dark Shadows on her television show, Movie Macabre. Oh, yes. 
Yes, the wailing is beckoning me back to Widow's Hill. So let's return to this special Halloween tribute and we'll lead in with my friend and fellow Massachusetts horror host, Dr. Drek. Greetings, this is Dr. Drek of the Dungeon of Dr. Drek, which can be seen on the Monster Channel and Betamax TV. I caught on to Dark Shadows kind of late in the game when it was first on. I joined in when they were uh, just about to create Adam, the Ursatz Frankenstein monster. Um, <laughs> I was in high school at the time, but I got home in time to see it every day. I was hooked, and I stayed with it, but I started to drift away some time after the uh, Jekyll and Hyde storyline. Fortunately, I caught up with the entire series later, mostly through DVDs. It was, and is, a totally unique entry in the soap opera genre, or, or should I say blood opera genre. It made my high school days much more bearable. It all begins about 12 o'clock, when the graves all open and we start to rock. Graveyard rock. It's cool. Graveyard rock. In the graveyard. Graveyard rock. Everybody digs a graveyard rock. <laughs> Welcome to the manor. That's right. This is Remo D. And no matter where I am, it is the manor, even in semi-retirement. But today we are here to talk about Dark Shadows, one of my favorite shows ever. And yes, one I was there to see as it first aired, even though I was in kindergarten, first grade, what have you. I would come home from school and enjoy the antics at Collinwood. And we also had the Viewmaster set. Remember those? The Viewmaster set, well, that told us to the Nicholas Blair sequence. And if you thought Angelique the Witch was something, when Nicholas Blair showed up to take over, showed that his powers were even greater than hers, that really caught a lot of attention. Now, you may remember that part of the life force of Barnabas was used to animate Adam. Their answer to the Frankenstein monster. Well, Nicholas had the idea that Angelique's life force could be used to resurrect Eve, a companion for Adam. And even though it didn't quite work out, the very concept of this experiment was legendary. Yes, indeed, folks. It was known as the Blair Witch Project. Okay, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. My name is Bobby Gamonster. I am host of Monster Movie Night. Whenever I hear the theme to Dark Shadows, I get a sensation in the back of my mind, in the back of my neck, down my spine. It's a sensation of remembrance. As a child, I remember watching Dark Shadows. I remember hearing that theme song. And every memory from then on has been pleasant and eerie. All the characters that played on this, this monumental show. Barnabas Collins. His cousins, Roger and Elizabeth, little David Collins, Carolyn Collins, even Willie Loomis. <laughs> Watching these old reruns of Dark Shadows takes me back to when I was a child. Collecting monsters, hoping to find the things connected to Dark Shadows, like a cane, Barnabas Collins' cane. In fact, I have a replica of that cane. I have a short cape connected to a long coat, like Barnabas. <laughs> I even sleep in a coffin, like Barnabas. 
There were so many, many wonderful childhood memories connected to Dark Shadows. They had everything. They had theatrical people that came from stages and brought it to the screen. They portrayed every genre of horror from Frankenstein's monster all the way to Dorian Gray's uh, picture. The writers of this phenomenal series were non-par. Yes, sometimes the actors would forget their lines, but who hasn't? In fact, it made it more real. To me, Dark Shadows will live on through the eternities, just like Barnabas Collins and his family. This is Scarlet Kaiju coming to you from the Mansion of Mystery, where my son CJ the Werewolf and I bring you the best and worst movies in the public domain. Look for us on the Monster Channel, the Vortex, Betamax TV, and small local stations across the country, like our home at WBXC Throwback Television in Buffalo. When our dear friend Penny Dreadful invited me to talk about my history with Dark Shadows, I realized that my journey was sort of an odd one. While I have deep affection for so many things from 1966, possibly the best year ever for pop culture, Unlike Batman or the Monkees, I remember the exact moment I became aware of Dark Shadows. Walking through a department store with my aunt, I saw a cardboard display for the Marilyn Ross novels. The topper had the same dubious artwork that I would later associate with the first Dark Shadows board game. Later, I'd collect the Gold Key comics, but there was no Dark Shadows on television. Not here. Monsters were being kept from me, and like any self-respecting monster kid, I hated that. So you can imagine that it was like a gift from Santa on Christmas Eve 1969 when I heard a promo on our local ABC affiliate. When you're Barnabas Collins, the world's most lovable vampire, you never know who will drop in on you. Dark Shadows premieres Monday, January 12th. We were, I think, a week behind the rest of the country, but who cares? We were getting Dark Shadows. It was deep into the Leviathan storyline, so I figured it would take a little time to get caught up. But unfortunately, that was not to be. On Wednesday, Chris Jennings had to go and kill Charles Delaware Tate. And all the parents who were expecting the Munsters after that silly promo started to call and complain. By Thursday, instead of Barnabas and Quentin, we had Fred Flintstone and Barney Rubble. I had so many questions that needed to be answered. Where was Barnabas? Why was Quentin? I recognized the gorgeous David Selby from magazine articles calling himself Grant Douglas. So naturally, I doubled down on my efforts to learn everything I could about Dark Shadows. In the decades that followed, there would be the two theatrical movies, the sci-fi channel, and various fan publications. I never got to go to any of the festivals, which I deeply regret, but I did eventually manage to get all of the paperback library books. Yes, that includes the Dark Shadows cookbook. They have an honored place in my library alongside the comics and books autographed by Nancy Barrett and, yes, David Selby. I've now seen the entire series three times over, as well as the 1990 reboot, various unaired pilots, and the movie that shall not be named. And I'm very grateful to Big Finish for their continuation of the original legend, featuring the, most of the surviving cast. They filled in some of the blanks with some wonderful choices for other roles, including actors from the various revivals, and perhaps the only actress in the world who could replace the late Grayson Hall as Dr. Julia Hoffman, the legendary Julie Newmar. Of course, as a longtime Doctor Who fan, I loved that they brought in so many people from their flagship line, including one of my favorite people in the entire world, Colin Baker. So now, not only can I tell people that CJ was named after the Doctor, I can tell my Dark Shadows friends that he was named after the evil Nicholas Blair. As I sit here in my library with my Dark Shadows art print on the wall, paperback books stacked neatly, and a loving black cat named Quentin by my side, this is Scarlet Kaiju wishing you dark dreams. Ah, uh, hello, my friends. This is the host of Screaming, Screaming Horror, Horror Theater. I know that you haven't heard from me since the Mayan calendar ran out on December 21st of 2012, but I assure you that I am still quite undead and well. I just had to make a reappearance to visit this amazing podcast and say something about Dark Shadows. That's right, Elvis. 
Dark Shadows. I was about two years old at the time that Dark Shadows premiered, and you would think not old enough to actually understand what was going on, but for some reason I bonded with the program. I don't believe my parents watched it, but somehow I had locked on to it. The way children of different eras might know Dora, Big Bird, or Mr. Rogers in his neighborhood, I knew Barnabas, Angelique, and Collinwood. After the show had ended, I was always excited whenever it would get a reshowing, though sadly, usually only for a fairly short time. In 1976, it replaced the afternoon reruns of the Partridge Family here in Houston on KDOG Channel 26, but they only ran it just past the end of the 1795 storyline. Then in the early 80s, new UHF station Channel 67 began running it until they were bought out by the Home Shopping, Shopping Network. Network. Because of the tremendous Dark Shadows fandom in the Houston area, the station management would interrupt the Home Shopping Network feed every Monday through Friday to show an episode of Dark Shadows until it appears they were told to stop. The last episode that they aired was Barnabas' first night as a vampire as the curse began. After another break in the availability of Dark Shadows, the MPI VHS tapes started appearing in stores. I collected all of them. And later, there were the Sci-Fi Channel airings, and finally, the miracle known as the Coffin, the Coffin Box, Box DVD Box set. set. Listening to this podcast has made me start watching the episodes again. Actually, I'm on my second watch-through since the start of Terror at Collinwood. Dr. Lang has just semi-cured Barnabas. Angelique's painting is making Roger crazy. And Jeff Clark really hates being called Peter Bradford. Hello, my minions. Uh, I'm Danvers from Demented Features, and I thought I would uh, share a little story I have about Dark Shadows. So uh, I remember uh, I must have been, I don't know, nine, ten years old, and there were reruns of Dark Shadows uh, on the afternoons. So I was I was uh, over at my grandmother's house, and it was one of the episodes where Maggie is uh, screaming bloody murder in Barnabas's basement in the uh, prison cell, and she's like, little girl, help me, help me, ah! you know, overacting a storm as Maggie did, and I loved every minute of it, but um, she, uh, you know, it, making all kinds of commotion, and then my grandmother comes in the room, and she's like, you need to stop watching all that scary stuff, so, uh, but no, I kept watching all that scary stuff, uh, and it's made me the monster I am today, and you can, you can see a little bit of my collection back here, and there's, there's Barnabas, Look, there's Barnabas's ring. So uh, I thought I'd share that story with you. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, until next time, um, sleep tight, whatever you are. <laughs> month of October is at its frightening zenith as a swirling fog bank crawls off the driftwood-littered shoreline, skulks past the time-ravaged headstones, inhabiting the Pioneer Cemetery to inevitably engulf the nearby mountainside and the lamplit homes facing the frigid seascape. Yes, in its way, the often sleepy coastal settlement of Ghoul Beach has many mysterious and evocative things in common with those fabled reaches of Collinsport. This is Tim the Enchanter, and this is Stevie Gothling. We're the hosts of Scary as Hell Theater, as seen on the Monster Channel. We've gathered here to affectionately lend our voices to Penny Dreadful's exquisitely rendered podcast, Terror at Collinwood, to share a few thoughts about Dan Curtis's enduring creation, Dark Shadows. You know, I used to know a Barney Collins way back when, but he wasn't a vampire. He was, however, something of a lurker and a creep. Oh well, it takes one to know one, Tim. More to the point here, I count myself among the many during the 1960s who raced home from school each weekday afternoon in order to lock my gaze upon that landmark television offering in a very intoxicating way, those daily episodes, so gloriously steeped in beckoning gothic splendor, only served to fuel my macabre sensibilities. First so powerfully instigated by the classic universal horror cycles of the 1930s and 40s, the allure of Dark Shadows was unquestionably potent and long-lasting within my monster kid soul, which was always desirous of old Dark House star 
style ghostly intrigues. Such darkly drawn fare has always been something of a happy place for me. <laughs> Clearly, Mr. Underling, you were quite a weird little boy. Yeah, wore it like a badge of honor. At any rate, I too must confess an enduring reverence for the original series, if only because it served to reinforce my long-standing opinion that every family has its skeletons in their closet, and perhaps, by extension, its vampires, its specters, its werewolves. My Uncle Angus, for instance, used to exhibit a rather alarming tendency to sprout additional facial hair during certain moon-soaked nights, and even took to howling incessantly at the moon. Yes, how tragic that your uncle finally met his end during a werewolf spa flea dip gone horribly wrong. Anyway, as wonderful as the TV series was, it hardly prepared me for what a memorable event that first feature film would be, House of Dark Shadows. Talk about a vampire holocaust. Pretty much the entire cast eventually came under the curse of Barnabas's fiendish blood plague. I had never seen so much pulsing crimson splatter on the silver screen. A stunning confluence of cinematic bloodsuckers to be sure. And with that, may we wish all of you a happy Halloween. And remember, Dark Shadows remains eternal. Priscilla May was a lovely, ginger-haired mother of four, with a fourth due at summer's end. This remarkable woman had a fancy for anything of a haunting, mysterious, and supernatural theme. She enchanted her children with this wonderful curse, not knowing her last-born would become the most infected. Surely in the womb, he would hear his siblings shriek and feel his mother's heartbeat quicken as the family conjured before their black and white zenith for their daily injection of their favorite tale, Dark Shadows. As his first days began, he would soon recognize the music and the tense attention spent to the glowing giant block that they all so intensely stared at every afternoon. A few months later, in December, a new arrival was welcomed into this woman's home. Barnabas Collins had also arrived. The child grew the first few years along with the familiar and faithful additions of Dark Shadows in his life, though he may have been too young to remember. Family trips to Newport, Rhode Island to see the ocean waves and gothic structures that may or may not have been the location footage for the show's eerie opener. But be it true or not, believing for a brief moment on an occasional trip to his birthplace in Newport, that boy still can imagine that he too was in the Collinswood Mansion in Collinsport, Maine. This is Octavian Hollow, and this has been a childhood moment. Thanks, Penny. Hello, kitties. It's your old friend Halloween Jack, and I'm thrilled to be here on the Terror at Collinwood podcast to talk about my experience of discovering the wonderful world of Dark Shadows. That experience started at the age of eight when I was a young ghoul walking home from school. Yes, there were no buses. We walked. And the walk was never a hurried one. I'd walk with my friends, hang out at their houses for a bit, look in the windows of the shops that I passed along the way home, and many other activities before actually arriving at my house. It was never a rush until this one fateful day when our neighbor's daughter was on her front porch. She said to me, you better hurry up or you'll miss Dark Shadows. Dark Shadows? I questioned. What is that? Well, go home and turn your TV to Channel 7 at 4 o'clock. Well, I did just that. I don't remember what episode was the first I had seen, but it was enough to instantly draw me in. 
As a growing monster kid, I was mesmerized. I mean, come on, vampires, witches, warlocks, ghosts, bodies coming out of graves, werewolves, a Frankenstein-like creature, and even aliens? I may have missed the early episodes, but from that moment on, I didn't miss one single show. Later, I was able to see many of the episodes I missed when the show was syndicated and later on released on VHS and then much later on released on DVD. The show has always held a very special place in my heart and was very influential during my formative years as a growing monster kid. Thank you, Penny, for letting me share this fond memory and for bringing back many, many more. Matter of fact, I think I'll go watch a few episodes right now. Oh, and happy Halloween, everyone. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. Oh, yes, that was Halloween Jack of Halloween Jack's Haunted Theater and, of course, the Monster Channel, which you can find at themonsterchannel.com or add it to your favorite streaming device if you have Roku or something like that. You can use that to watch the Monster Channel. Horror hosts all day, all night long, whenever you like. You can watch it on the computer as well, on your television, however you want to do it, even through your scrying mirror, which is how I, I watch it. But how appropriate for this. Halloween horror host tribute to Dark Shadows to come to a close with Halloween Jack. Prior to Halloween Jack, of course, you heard Octavian Hallow of the Haven Falls Horror Fix. Before that, Stevie Gothling and Tim the Enchanter from Scary as Hell Theater. Before that, you heard Danvers from Demented Features. Prior to Danvers, you heard The Host from Screaming Horror Theater. Before that, you heard Scarlet Kaiju from Mansion of Mystery. Before that, you heard Bobby Gamonster from Monster Movie Night. Before Bobby, you heard Remo D from Manor of Mayhem. Remo D coming back out of the shadows to speak on behalf of Dark Shadows. He had some difficulty uh, with the computer because of that hook he has for a hand. I told you, Remo, they have uh, they have these prosthetics now that you can get. You, can, you don't have to have a hook, Remo. Remember that time you tried to pick your nose? Oh, never mind. <clears throat> Moving on. And before Remo, we started the second half of the show with Dr. Drek of The Dungeon of Dr. Drek. Well, my dreary one, are you surprised to hear so many horror hosts screaming with delight over dark shadows? <laughs> I'm not. I mean, how could we horror hosts not love the vampires, werewolves, witches, warlocks, ghosts, zombies, mad-made monsters, cursed lottery rooms, time travel, parallel universes, mad scientists, windswept coastlines, haunted mansions, secret rooms, and the brilliant writing, acting, set and spooky music of dark shadows. I mean, it's like the story of our own cursed on lives. I mean, I, I have a life. Don't get me wrong. I, I do things like, you know, ruin crops and make cow's milk go sour. But I'm not responsible for that 2012 movie, no matter what my blasted, banished doppelganger Danielle might falsely claim. Oh, stay in your coffin. She'll be back in the next episode. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Well, my dreary one, I hope you enjoyed hearing from my horror host friends. Be sure to check out their shows and their websites. Be true to your goal and support your local horror host. And never, never stop watching Dark Shadows. Happy Halloween and have a excellent evening. Interrupting myself because I have magic powers and I know how to do that. I have something really special here for you. I reached out to my dear friend Corpse S. Chris, the curator of the Horror Host Graveyard, to ask him if he still had a copy of this interview, and remarkably, he did. And then I reached out to Luke Foster of the Nine Panel Nerds podcast, who gave me permission to play this clip for you. And he just asked me to let you know that the interview was conducted by the late Dave Krause. And the interview, of course, was with Bob Austin, the alter ego of Bob McCarr. And it took place in May of 2008. Uh, it's quite fascinating, as you'll hear, because this audition took place quite close to the end of the series. So one can only speculate on the role that Bob Austin was actually auditioning for here. So thank you very much.
much to Chris for sending this along to me. And thank you, Luke Foster, for allowing me to play it. I brought Bob here today because I wanted to talk to him about his horror hosting days. It was a surprise. It was? <clears throat> yes. Uh, and I have a feeling, I hadn't thought about this, but I have a feeling it may have stemmed from the fact that prior to the horror show of the House of Horrors, which was in the mid-80s, mm-hmm. 84 and 85, I think. <clears throat> um, I, uh, through, through Channel 40, um, ended up having some photographs taken, appointments made, and went to New York City to audition for the for the uh, the horror soap opera Dark Shadows. Really? Yes. They were looking for for a a brother uh, um, um, another guy to play uh, uh, the uh, the uh, star's brother. Barnabas, Barnabas was his name. Uh, yes, the, uh, what was his name? Collins? Uh, Barnabas Collins. Collins. But it was John, Jonathan Frist. I Jonathan Frid. Frid. Yes. Frid. Yeah. They were looking for. They were looking for a brother. Had another character. And so I got got into my my best suit and uh, pictures and appointments and headed to New York and went to ABC Studios and he wasn't there. The director, oh. uh, he wasn't there. What a waste of time! And huh? he was he was on the West Coast. He was doing something out there. And uh, would I like to come back? So I said, Well, all right. I was staying with friends in the in the village and and uh, hung around and was making phone calls every day. Uh, Dan Curtis was the director, oh, yeah. who went on to do War and Remembrance and, oh, yeah. and uh, that kind of thing, The Winds of War. And um, he was still on the West Coast, and I just gave up. I, it was hot. I was running out of money. I had to get back to work. I got back to work, and about a week later, the show was canceled. 